Well, I, uh, I'm, I'm having a personal prayer this morning that God will fall afresh on me. I had my experience with the first sermon this morning was not exactly what anybody else's was. Everybody else seemed to think I made sense. I did not, and so um, I've changed the sermon around. Instead of instead of pages and pages, I have I have like six little bullet points here. So this is what I'm going to do today. So um, I'm asking for the Lord to fall afresh on me to move in me, but not just me. Because one of the things that happens in churches is we begin to think of God's movement as something that happens to me. You know, we personalize, we over-personalize, if you will. We would personalize, he who began a good work in me will be faithful to bring it to completion in me. And we forget that the one, he who began a good work in me, also began a good work in you and you and you and you and you and you. And that we trust this power of God, not just to bring the work in us to completion, in, in us individually, but in the church collectively, in the individuals sitting next to us in the pews, that God began a good work in them and will be, be faithful and just to bring it to completion in them as well. And so this morning as we go into Ephesians, I want to talk as, as we read Ephesians uh, 1, 15 and following in that chapter, I just want you to remember something, that we're thinking about thanking God, prayer, thanking God as a posture as much as it is a way of speaking. So as in posture, how do we approach God? So let me read the first half of what I'm going to deal with tonight today, and then I'll talk about that, and then I'll read the second half, and we'll talk about that. At least that's what my notes say I'm going to do right here. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. There's that, there's that uh, maxim of godliness from last week. Remember the first one is that we would grasp knowledge of God, that we would begin to know who he is. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I want to start off with a misconception here that, that we often read this. Have, have you ever, uh, have you spent some time thinking about yourself as God's inheritance? I know I had somebody um, sitting right about here in the, in the first service. He goes, that's a little scary. You're God's prize in this deal. He values you very highly. He's at work in your life. He's at work in the church's life. And he sees you as his inheritance. But I want to talk about what this prayer means. So many of you have experienced prayer in a variety of ways. And that's good because prayer comes in different forms. I have a friend that, that whenever she prays, she just prays the scripture. She just always, somewhere in her the scripture just flows out of her, and it's an amazing gift just to be prayed, have the scripture prayed over you. 
but she almost never uses her own words. She just uses scripture to do that. That's an amazing style of prayer that, that first off, requires a, a memorization skill I'm not sure I have. And, and, and then to set yourself aside in the way that she does to pray. And then you'll have me, who, who likes a good short public prayer. Have you noticed that about me, that we don't have this long, drawn-out, 35-minute public prayer? That's kind of me. <laughs> I've, uh, I've, I've seen the long, drawn-out public prayers. I've seen them um, in good posture and in bad posture. But there's all sorts of styles of prayer. And I'm not going to demean any of them except to say that this, all of them are prayer when they're out of a posture of of not obedience, not subservience, but dependence. Are you in a spot where you depend on God, that you're dependent on God, that you know that you can't do this on your own? So all prayer comes out of that posture of, I need God, and I need the blessings that he has from me, and I need him to move, and I come to him in that posture going, I, ha I am not self-sufficient. Some of you know some people that think of themselves as self-sufficient. How many of you know somebody that it thinks of themselves as utterly self-sufficient? Okay, you all do this, right? Do you tell them to get their own air? to make their own air, get their own atoms, do all that stuff. No, you don't. But, but God continues to pour out these blessings on us. And, and here's my thought on this. Some of us don't recognize how often God is pouring his blessings out on us. This is the trick. Are you ready? God pours his blessings out so often on us that I think we begin to think of them as just the standard backdrop of our lives. And we stop noticing them. And so we go along and we see the things that are just, that are the new things, the changes in our lives, the things that upset us. And we start saying, why did God do that? And we forgot to notice the sunshine, <laughs> the gravity stays the same, that the, the air is there, that there are people around us that care for us, that that we live in a world where, where our needs are pretty much taken care of, that you have a job or not, but maybe you do. That job is from God, but you have sources of, of sustenance that are all from God. Whether or not they come through another person on the way, they're still from God. And so here's the trick of this posture that I found, and Paul, Paul touches on it in here. I have not stopped, thank, stopped thanking God for you, asking him to give you spiritual wisdom. I want you to know that there's three tricks to the spiritual wisdom. The first one is this. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from a, a quote from Charles Spurgeon. You ready? He says that it's easier to teach a tiger to be a vegetarian than to teach a human to praise God. when they don't have the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit inside us is the beginning of our wisdom. That's the spirit, that's the way, this insight, the spiritual wins, in, spiritual gift of insight to start to understand the gift of illumination in some of our translations that God, that Paul's praying that they will have the gift of illumination, that God will begin to show them and touch them and explain who he is. You saw in my, my linebacker, in my linebacker video, do you remember when he was sitting there and he was talking about it, that dogmatics was the locus of God's indirect self-disclosure, and we all know what that means. Did you all know what that meant when you heard those words? Were there anybody here that understood that dogmatics was the, was the locus of God's indirect self-disclosure and what that meant? I'm not sure that anybody in making the video knew what that meant. <laughs> but here's the deal. We don't understand God except that he self-discloses. He shows himself to us and he explains himself to us. And the only way we do that is because the Holy Spirit points him out. You've all met somebody that read this Bible without any spiritual insight and said, well, that's a God of hate. Haven't you? Instead, as my recent article in the Salt Shaker would say, there are boneheads in the Bible. None of you know any boneheads in your real life. I know that for sure. Certainly not like the Old Testament guys that are just, or the gals and guys that are just messing it up. Right? Talk about the God family. Okay, the God's family of the patriarchs is so messed up. Really, you've read it, right? Let's just read this honestly. This dad likes that son better, and the mom likes the other one better, and they compete for, for blessings. And, and, and this dad likes that one Hit the 14th son so well that he gives him a special coat and the other ones hate him and they throw him in a pit. And, right, because these are boneheads. And God is at work in their lives. And I want you to recognize that if God can work in their lives, he can work in yours. Okay, so here's this thing about dependence. We are dependent do you think God doesn't know that we're dependent upon him? He's aware. He knows your needs before you start asking him for them. And as, as we all have met other people that have just constantly said, pray, bless me, God, bless me, God, bless me, God, but they're unhappy because the blessings don't come that way, but all they ever do is they come to God with their hand out and they never come and develop the relationship with him. And so this is, I'm not telling you to not ask God to bless you. Okay, don't hear me saying that. You go ahead and ask God to bless you. But I want you to attend to the, to the source of the blessing. And I want you to attend to the relationship with God in such a way that the blessings flow out of him naturally towards you and you begin to recognize them. I could always stand at the end of my hose and say, where's the water? 
But if I haven't attended to turning the spigot, it's unlikely to come out. So take the time to get to know this God and spend time with the spirit of illumination. Spend some time reading his word. And, and, and you might read some stuff that's really troubling in the Old Testament or in the New Testament and go, wow, this is really troubling. Yeah, it was troubling for them too. And God continued to work in their lives. It doesn't mean that all the troubling stuff was from him. It just might mean something else. Here's an example of that, okay? This is one of my favorite spots to talk about. You know that Jonah didn't want to go to Assyria, right? He didn't want to go. He was the unwilling prophet. I'm going to go witness to the people God wants to save, but I don't want them to be saved. And he went. Right, that, <laughs> you like that. But here's the deal. Did you know that Assyria didn't take captives for the first half of their dynasty? They just destroyed everybody. More room for them. But when Assyria captured northern Israel, what did they do? They took captives. What happened? What changed? Well, I would tell you that I think that Jonah happened. And Jonah's little stamping foot tantrum prophet style that God happened to work through anyway was to make a way for Israel instead of being just utterly destroyed, carried off into captivity. And you might say, boy, captivity was bad though. Yeah, bad. Not as bad as being killed, but bad. And so God was making a way. But so we need to spend some time in relationship with this God and get to understand his word and sort of put it in context with itself so that we know that he comes in and he works in our world regardless of whether it makes sense to us at the time or not. The third thing about this posture is I want you to put on some Jesus-colored glasses for a second. Not for a second, for the rest of your life, actually. You know what rose-colored glasses are? You've all met somebody in the, the term rose-colored glasses that you just look at the world through these fabulous things and you only see the pretty pictures, right? You don't see the bad stuff. That's rose-colored glasses. I'm not suggesting that you do that. I'm suggesting that you begin to look at the world hoping to see God at work, not just in your life but in somebody else's life. I, I'm reminded of Paul in the book of Corinthians you know, the Corinthians were really messed up in a lot of the things they did. And Paul would say, don't do that no more. <laughs> just, just stop. But he thanks God for them. You know what he's doing? Catching them doing something right and being thankful for it. Some of you have had kids you've had to catch doing something right. Students that you had to catch doing something right. Friends you had to catch doing something right so that you could start to have a good relationship with them. Well, I had a friend that, that he was a young man who had gone on a journey with Christ, one of the weekends that, that happened a month, a while ago, and I got to sponsor him on his walk a few years later. And I just, some of you don't know what a walk is, it's a spiritual retreat. I just want you to know this, that 80% of the men that go on a walk go with this posture. 
And, and if you're lucky, they'll hook their feet on the rail in the chair that they're sitting in. It means I'm not talking to nobody and I'm not getting out of the chair. He went, I, was, I remember t- going to dinner before the weekend and he goes, I'm going to look, boy, God's going to meet me somewhere this weekend. I cannot wait to see where it is. I'm looking for it. I know God's going to move in my life. Can you imagine the difference between that posture and I could pull my hat down except I'm not wearing one over my eyes so you could see no that he had begun to have the secret of the posture of prayer and thankfulness from God that he began to look for where God was going to work in his life and he was going to notice it can you start to notice God working around you in the lives of those and start going wow God is at work Can you start to notice it in in you? Can you start to notice it in the people that you've watched grow up? One of the dangers of the youth retreats that I've seen is that the 15-year-olds go on these things, and then they become 21-year-olds, and they've grown up, and they've got skills and all that, but the adults let them stay 15. They haven't seen the work of God in those six years. And that maybe those, those people shouldn't be our leaders in the future. They're our leaders right now. And they have these deep faith walks that we can learn from. But we need to learn to watch the development of faith in those around us. The little things. You know, like, today I came to church and I liked it. Instead of I went because I had to. And the next time I'm going, I, you know what? There's somebody there. I'm going to meet that person and we're going to become friends because God's working us together. That is a posture of thankfulness that turns us into a spot of praise and prayer in our lives. I hope that you've seen me live some of that. I hope that I live a little bit of that looking for God working in people's lives and catching people doing things right. I hope you've seen that. If you haven't, come talk to me privately and 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 I'll take that correction. But here's the thing. The spirit of illumination isn't just for us to be in prayer and to have this posture of dependence and thankfulness and all that. It's to do something else. It's to illuminate the work of God in our lives and who he is and our future and the hope that lies within us. Let's read the next verses and then I'll finish. Well, I'll I'll preach a little more and then I'll finish probably. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him, that this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only is this in this world, but in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It was made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. 
Now let's talk about some illumination here for a second. I want to talk to you about the power of God at work. Now, the Bible has three different ways to discuss power at work. Do you know that God speaks the world into existence? He goes, blah, 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 and it happens. That's power. Would you agree with that? That's not, I couldn't raise this big rock because I didn't have a lever big enough. It's, he said, rock, get up, and the rock gets up. Power, authority, if you will. But then God's people sort of got into trouble in Egypt, and they got subjected into slavery and all this. And the biblical image of God in the Old Testament during the Exodus is that he rolls up his sleeve, and he, and he puts his right arm in there to cause salvation to happen. Have you experienced God in your life up to your elbows, up to his elbows? Do you know what it's like to cook and be up to your elbows in cooking? You've got it all the way over you, right? God is like this in your life. He is, he is alive in you and working in your life, and he's rolled up his sleeves to get involved in salvation. That's not, that's not, I just spoke about it over there and it happened, you know, six blocks from here. That was, he was over there in your life involved. That's pretty cool, I think. But that power is more than that because not only that, he raised Christ from the dead. Death no longer has the last word. Well, I'm going to say that again and then let that sink in just a little bit. Do you know that death no longer has the last word in your life? God does. That has some meaning for us. That's quite a bit different than here today, gone tomorrow. That means your life matters and it matters deeply and it's not insignificant anymore because it's going on because God calls you to live with him forever and you're his inheritance. And, and, and Jesus wasn't raised from the dead to be king somewhere in outer Africa. He's king in the heavenly realms in this world and in the other without compare Perfectly every single thing under his authority, always and forever, never to be beaten or compared to, nobody can challenge him. And oh, by the way, he's the head of the church and he's filling it with himself. Now, I would, I would dare to suggest that as great as his work is in your individual lives, you're not the filling of the church. Him at work in the lives of the people you rub elbows with all together is the work of the church. The fullness of Christ in the church is going to take more than you. Oh, it's going to take you and God's work in you, but it's going to take more than you. It's going to take the fullness of every single believer, not just in this church, but in the other churches around town too, to give full witness to the work of Christ in the world. Now, you can give witness 
But can you give full witness to the work of Christ? No. Because you don't even understand it all. You don't even understand the work of Christ in your own life, <laughs> let alone the work of Christ in somebody else's life. This fullness of Christ is going to be the witness of him, the way he fills everything and brings everything under his power is so great that it needs all of us. And we're part of it as God's inheritance. You're his prize. And at the end of the all, his cherished possession. Now that might be a little reset button on your self-understanding. You might not think that you're very important in the whole cog of things, but I guarantee you that God disagrees with you because you're his image on earth. And the witness to his power is, is that he can get into your life up to his elbows and speak life into you and change you to the point where Paul the Apostle says, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the brothers and sisters everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. And I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those who call his holy trust. This is the way to be in prayer. The move to come into a spot where we recognize that we're dependent on him and we're dependent on those around us and the work of Christ in them for the fullness of the witness of Christ to the world. Will you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for, for your love of us and for the way that you work in this boneheaded life and others. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Move in us so that we might recognize you at work in the world and that we might join you. In your precious name, amen.